Good morning. Lord willing, we'll be finishing 2 Peter this week. And next week, again, Lord willing, we'll be starting into 1 John. And uh, I'd encourage you to read ahead. And what you'll be searching for in 1 John, it's a small book. Why did he even write the book? That'll be your very simple homework assignment. But here we are in 2 Peter chapter 3. And as I've mentioned on many, many occasions, remind and remember. And we're going to be in chapter 3. And we'll see here, it's all about watching for Jesus. Now, Pastor Murphy used to talk about God things, through things that someone else might say as a coincidence, but I'm talking about something very different. I'm talking about Jesus Christ coming back. And that's what chapter 3 is all about, Jesus Christ coming back, and what we should be doing in preparation for it. So if you look at the outline, we've had uh, looking within, looking around, and now looking ahead, and I'd add to that, looking above. So watching for Jesus is the topic that we're covering. Chapter 3 begins like this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember. Those words are in every single chapter of both of those epistles. Remind and remember. The predictions of the holy prophets. We're talking about watching for Jesus. The predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. The predictions begin all the way back in Daniel, where he talked about his 70 weeks, 69 weeks, which means 69 weeks of years leading up to Jesus Christ and Palm Sunday. And then this window of time that he did not see called the church age. And then that last week, the great tribulation. And we'll be getting to that, Lord willing, and if he tarries, as we go through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and then Revelation. We'll have a couple of graphics that deal with the book of Revelation as part of watching for Jesus. So, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. What does it mean to scoff? Anybody? The class goes faster if you answer the questions. What does it mean to scoff? To argue against, to make fun of, to deride, okay? Knowing this, that the scoffers will come in the last days. We are in the last days. You look at the news and you can't deny it. And we'll see some of the symptoms as we go forward. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? I will tell you that it's closer than it was when you sat down. Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's not true. All things are not as the beginning. You, I love the internet. You do a, a study on the internet of the speed of light and light is slowing down. And everything, all of our physics and everything is based upon a constant. It's the constant speed of light and it's slowing down. Romans 8.22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I see a number of young mothers here, okay? My youngest is 31 years old, but I can remember, as a spectator, labor. The shortest labor she had was 24 hours. I can remember the Braxton Hicks. And she went through about two, three weeks of Braxton Hicks. So when you see Jenny pat her on the back and say, you poor lady, 
but the whole earth is groaning. Matthew 24 says this, For many will come in my name saying, well, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. How many people in this room know somebody who used to go to church and doesn't go there anymore? Okay, many are led astray for a number of different reasons. Some people look at us and they say, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Other people, they've heard so many or have known so many situations of somebody that has fallen in a bad way. But then there are others that are led astray because maybe they're listening to a different gospel or maybe, you know, we use this phrase when we buy cars, actual mileage may vary. There are lots of different reasons, but people are being discouraged. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and come right back again. We're in the church age, but the end of the church age. The church age talks about seven different churches, and I'm not going to go through all seven, but the last two were the Church of Philadelphia and the Church of Laodicea. We are in the Laodicean church age, which means people are lukewarm. But we as individuals have a choice. You can be Laodicean, or you can be a Philadelphian. I'm not talking about going down there and paying city wage tax. I'm talking about love of the brethren. That's where we are these days. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And if you turn on the news, those poor people in the Ukraine, but that's just the latest. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And if we were studying the book of Revelation right now, I'd show you all the different graphs on how seismograph has had more and more activity over time. And these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. We're watching for Jesus. Keep in mind that's the heading. We're watching for Jesus. Scoffers will debate, first they'll debate creation. For they deliberately overlook the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through the water by the word of God. Why is evolution a farce? Well, again, you can go out of the internet and you can study old age creation, old earth creation and new earth creation. But here's the answer, it's a very simplistic answer. If evolution were true, well, I'll ask the other question. Why is theistic evolution a farce? I'm not even going to ask. Theistic evolution is evolution controlled by the hand of God. It's trying to reconcile evolution with creation. And this is not a class on creation. It's not a class on evolution. It's a class on Jesus Christ coming back. And scoffers are starting to, to in the latter days, getting into this. And this is why these are a farce because death would need to precede sin. If I'm the result of zillions of monkeys over zillions of years, then death preceded Adam. And that would make God a liar. Romans 5.12 says this, By one man, by the disobedience of one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. But by the obedience of one man, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, many will be made alive. Scoffers will debate not just creation, but also the flood. And there's verse 6, chapter 3, verse 2 Peter. And that by means of these, the world then existed, was deluged with water, and perished. Now I want you to notice the heading. Yes, Noah's flood may have happened, but not all over the earth. 
And I want you to notice the source. Center for Science Education. Who's got kids in school? They could be getting this stuff right now, and that's the least of our problems. And anyone that's interested, I'll share with you the URL and you can read the article. Look at this one, California State University. 21 reasons Noah's worldwide flood never happened. 21 reasons. I'll give you one reason that it did happen. God's word says so. We can go into all the archaeological evidence, and there's plenty of it out there, but I'll give you one reason that evolution is a farce. It's because death would precede sin, and I'll give you one reason that Noah's flood existed. God said so. So they're not just going to scoff at creation, not just scoff at the flood, but scoff at the word itself. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, and we'll be getting to that part, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. Somebody sent me that big gray square shouldn't be there, but somebody sent me a, a, a URL pointing to Morgan Freeman, he's an actor, and the National Geographic uh, hour show, there was a follow-up, so I wasted two hours watching this stuff, The Story of God. Keep in mind we're talking about scoffing about the Word. So, the person asked me, what did I think about the program? In my opinion, and in Paul's opinion, right there, 1 Corinthians 5, 3, is the most important verse in Scripture. It's not John 3, 16. It's not Genesis 1, 1. I have delivered to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and he raised according to the scriptures, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the gospel. This man covered Islam, Judaism. Judaism was a real farce because they went to the, the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac, and the conclusion is right there in the Torah, it's right there in the Bible, God will provide himself a sacrifice. What did the rabbi say? It said that we're not going to sacrifice our kids anymore. That's not the point of Genesis chapter 22. Even the rabbi is scoffing his own word. They covered Islam. They covered Buddhism. They covered the Navajos. They covered Catholicism. They covered Christianity and simply said, they believe Christ died for our sins. And that was, I'm sorry, they believe Christ died. Well, there's history that says Christ died. There's now history that Pontius Pilate existed. But there's also history. You read uh, Len Strobel of a case, a case for Christ. There's also proof that he rose from the dead. They didn't cover any of that because scoffers are scoffing the word of God. I'm going way too fast. There's going to be plenty of time for opportunity, plenty of, time, uh, plenty of opportunity for discussion. What else did they forget to cover? And I, I was, they, the other thing they forgot to cover was sin. There was not a single discussion of sin. There are plenty of philosophies out there. And you can go to yoga class if you want to. 
You can burn incense if you want to. I guess that's an okay way to live, but that's not an okay way to die. The Bible says, as it is appointed unto men once to die, after this, the judgment. That's the story of God. So scoffers will debate. First they'll scoff, they'll mock, and then they'll debate. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. That simply means that God is outside of time. The word eternal, e means outside of, internal means life, uh, means time, outside of time. The Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. Now, I'm going off on a tangent, but I want you guys to stick with me here. When the Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, so far are my transgressions from me, and he remembers my sins no more, but I remember them, does that make me smarter than God? No. What's the definition of remember? Not going to take action. When the Bible says, and God remembers my sins no more, that means he's not going to take action action. Now, I had a personal, wonderful experience this week, and I've asked the class to pray for this for several months now. On Thursday, Leah's two stepchildren were officially adopted by her. Now, the book of Romans says that we, when we get saved, are adopted. And I set these girls up because they were here Wednesday night. And I will tell you, every time I drive kids to church, we start youngest to oldest, they pick a song, we go round and round, and then when we get close enough where I think it's time, we switch to prayers, we go youngest to oldest. Just a hint for you young parents. But at any rate, I was talking to these girls about Romans chapter 8. One is 10 years old, one is 8 years old. And I was talking about adoption. I said, you know that when you receive Jesus, you're adopted as a child of God. And I left it there. Because when we got to the courtroom the next day, the judge started reading the decree and asking the questions. And she said, there is, she was trying to get Leah, this is all part of the, the process. They wanted Leah to understand the responsibilities of adoption. And the judge said, there is no, and I don't know the official words, shame on me. She said, there is no unadopting a child. There's no give back. What does that mean to us spiritually? I've been adopted by the king. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and there's no give backs. In the book of Timothy, we read, if a person loses their faith, still Christ cannot deny himself. The book of Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Many of you know I was saved as an adult. I was saved as 28 years old. And I should have been dead many, many times prior for the pranks and the, and the antics that I did. But God was patient toward me. He was long-suffering toward me. I did so many goofy things, he should have just killed me on the spot. But he's not willing that any should perish, but 
but that all should come to repentance. I had a wife and two little babies. I still have the wife, but the two little babies are much older, and God blessed me with four more after salvation. But they were all in jeopardy. But God was long-suffering toward me. The book of Ezekiel says this, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? No one goes to hell as a trespasser. No one is sent to hell. A person sends themselves. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It has nothing to do with words. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior. That is the only unpardonable sin. He can forgive anything and everything else. On the other hand, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now this is all building up to answering the question, What's our part in watching for Jesus? What should I be doing in the meantime? So here we go. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, we're talking about the earth and the fire, and we'll get back to that, what sort of people ought you to be? Who wants to answer that question? What sort of people should we be waiting for Jesus Christ? Anybody? Scoundrels? Thank you. (laughs) Rascals? Debauchers? What kind of people should we be? Come on, help me. Righteous, Righteous. okay. Somebody else. What kinds of people should we be? A servant. Somebody else. I guess I'll have to tell you. We should live lives of holiness and godliness. That was verse 11, the second half of the verse we're studying. We should be hopeful. The Bible talks about our blessed hope, that we should live righteously and godly and soberly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope of that glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you have that blessed hope today? Is it alive in you? I see young parents here, and I'm going to get your hopefully get your attention as we get to the end of this class. We should be watchful, 1 Thessalonians. So then let us not sleep as others do. Well, guess what? I need my rest at night, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about being alert. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. That's not talking about booze, although it could apply there. That's talking about staying in our right mind. And you do anything to play with your mind and you're playing with danger. We should be encouraging. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Last time's for a lot of people right now, are not pretty times. And they might not be very pretty for us as we get closer to that age. We don't know. But we should encourage because we have a blessed hope. 
We should be steadfast workers. If you study 1 Corinthians 15, the section there, and I already had verse 3 up there, which was the most important verse. Paul said that this is of most importance, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he raised on the third day. This is one of the first verses I ever memorized. And in the little Baptist church where we were going, we were having vacation Bible school, and I went out door to door looking to invite kids to vacation Bible school, and I didn't know who was living behind these doors. And so I knock on this one door, and these two sisters come to the door. I said, come on in. And there was mom, and there was dad, both in hospital beds. The sisters were grown. And they said, we would love to come to vacation Bible school, but we can't leave mom and dad. And I quoted for them this first. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. I never saw the sisters again. Don't know what happened to the parents. But I hope I was an encouragement. Their labor was not in vain. You know, we live in a world where our, tech, our medical technology is so advanced that everybody is going to face aging parents. Now, my parents did for me a wonderful favor. They both simply fell asleep. They were sound in mind and body, and they just fell asleep. Again, actual mileage may vary. And so... Mom and dad took care of you through all those years, and we're going to have an opportunity someday to take care of mom and dad. I saw this guy with this T-shirt. He says, be kind to your children. They picked the nursing home. But I might not need a nursing home because Jesus Christ is coming back. And here's one more reason that we should pay attention to his second coming, to be blessed. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, the book of Revelation, and blessed are those who hear. Why would I be blessed in the book of Revelation? Well, here's the answer. We are right now in this church age. That's the yellow. And if Christ tarries and the Lord wills, we'll be covering every single lossage on these charts, and that's just a little piece of the chart. What's the next thing to occur in God's calendar of events, the rapture. And so shall we be with him forever in the air. So we're asking the same question. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? You mean there's more? Yeah. We're supposed to wait for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How do you hasten the coming of the day of God? Anybody? How can we hasten his second coming? John gave one answer in the very last chapter. How can you hasten the second coming? Pray for it. The book of Revelation says, Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Many of you know my son-in-law, Ben Blevins, and I've talked about the second coming for a long time. And he was dating my daughter, and he came to me, he said, you know, Mr. Scrabeck, I said, I hope he doesn't come until I get married. Well, he got married. Then he said, by this point he's calling me John. Then he said, John, I hope he doesn't come until I have kids. 
Well, he's got kids, and the youngest one is 18 years old. He came to me recently, and he said, I'm ready for him to come. How else can we hasten the second coming of Jesus Christ? By winning souls. Second Peter talks about the flame that comes down, and this is on the tail end of that revelation chart. We're going to ascend. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, not saved versus lost, but rewards versus none. And then we're going to celebrate with Jesus Christ in a period of time called the marriage supper feast of the Lamb. And while that's going on, down on earth, all hell will break loose. Revelation chapter 19, we're still on the left of the chart. The Bible says in the book of Jude, and we'll get there too in a, four more books, that he's going to return with all his holy ones. That's us. Saint means holy one. You don't have to be canonized to be a saint. That's a Catholicism, Catholicism kind of thing. Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, he's writing to the Romans, those who are called saints. Well, how we're alive. He's going to come back. The Bible says the devil will be bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. By definition, the bottomless pit is in the center of a sphere because anywhere else there's no bottom. I mean, there would be a bottom. He'll be released for a season. And one of the saddest verses in Scripture, he will deceive as many as the sands of the sea. And they'll march on King Jesus in the old Jerusalem. You see the new Jerusalem up there. They'll march on King Jesus, and they'll surround him like siege warfare. And at that time, the Bible says, fire will come down from heaven. We'll get to Peter, I hope, that says, and the earth will be burned up with a fervent heat. And that heat is going to cause heaven and earth to separate, and that's where the great white throne judgment will be occurring. We're right here, the great white throne. And that's judging lost people. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 6, uh, chapter six. he said, don't you know that you'll be judging the world? Don't you know that you'll be judging angels? Well, that's what's going to happen right there because he's going to be sitting on that throne and he's going to be surrounded by us and by the angels that haven't fallen and he's going to cast judgment on the lost and the fallen angels. Then the new age, the new heaven, and the new earth. But there's a more urgent or more present reason for seeing souls saved. That's 1,007 plus years out that we just talked about. But here's a more urgent reason. What if someone you know missed the rapture? Now, there are some movies out there that have some bad theology in them. This comes from 2 Thessalonians. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, King James right there says the son of perdition, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders 
and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends the strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. I'm a big fan of child evangelism. And I asked this question Wednesday night. I'm going to ask it again. It's a broader audience. Husband and wife are saved, and the rapture comes. Where are husband and wife? Help me fast. Heaven, thanks. Keep it going. She's pregnant. Where's that baby? Heaven, come on, help me. She has a toddler. Where's that toddler? Heaven, she has a sixth grader. Now, I'm not saying sixth grade is the age of accountability because I know a man who reached his age of accountability at 28 years old and was saved. But that sixth grader, I just picked the grade. If that sixth grader, look at the top, if that sixth grader refused to love the truth, if that sixth grader was pricked on his heart by the Holy Spirit but said no, that sixth grader will be led to believe a delusion. And the adults that you know that are not saved, if their heart has been pricked by the Holy Spirit and yet they said, not now, I need to sow some wild oats or whatever the question, whatever the response is, they'll be led to believe a delusion. So how can we hasten the second coming of Jesus Christ? I heard it on this side. Pray. Then I had to give it away. Share the gospel. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So there's more? Yes, look at verse 14. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The day I was saved, I was a babe in Christ. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, you should be chewing on the meat by now, but I still have to feed you milk, talking about the deeper things of God's word. But let me tell you something. He was in Thessalonica for only three weeks and he was already teaching the second coming. Peter writes and he talks about the milk versus the meat. We should be chewing on the meat. And in a few minutes, we're going to get to his very last verse from 2 Peter chapter 3. We should be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Now, the book of Ephesians says that when he comes, he's going to present his church like a virgin without spot or blemish. Well, let me tell you something. I'm no virgin. Paul says, I sin daily. He is no virgin. He was no virgin. Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing them. That's the end of chapter 7. But chapter 8, and there were no chapters in Scripture until the 1500s. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But now... I'm no virgin, and yet Jesus is going to present me without spot or blemish. How's that transformation going to happen?
2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about the judgment seat. And the Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes that we're going to be accountable for every thought and every deed. 1 John tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That means at that moment, hey, I am a virgin, but it doesn't last long. So what's the antidote? The psalmist wrote, said, reveal to me my secret sins. And those are not the ones that you don't know about. Those are the ones that I don't know about. Because I'm filled with a sin nature. And no matter how holy I get or how righteous I get, there's still sin there. And that's when he's going to forget. He's not going to take action. And he's going to present to me, present me to him like a virgin, like a without spot, without blemish. And I like to use this example because my four girls went through all kinds of class pictures and, you know, the photograph day. And they went through puberty and acne, and you should see them in the mirror the day of, right? Imagine I'm the bride. I'm not a very pretty bride, but play the game. I'm the bride, and there's the groom. And our tradition is the bride goes to the groom. In Bible times, the groom came to the bride. But let's just play the game. I'm the bride. There's the groom. And I've got a great big zit right there. And I'm coming closer and closer to Jesus. What's going to be on my brain? Help me, ladies. What's going to be on your brain if you were in that situation? The zit. That's exactly right. Thank you. But by the time, and I'm going to be thinking about that with every single step, right? Come on, let's do it. We're going to be thinking about that on every single step. We do our own traditions. The veil comes off the bride, and Jesus looks, and he says, John, you're beautiful. Floyd, you're beautiful. Because we will be without spot and without blemish. There we have the verse. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I've got wrinkles too. I'm, I'm past acne, but I've got the wrinkles. Peter's final recorded words, and we're going to quit maybe five minutes early, and we'll have time for questions, comments, or you can start walking the halls. You, therefore, beloved... Knowing this beforehand, knowing what? Everything that we just talked about. Remind and remember. There was nothing new in Peter's epistles. It was all remind of things that we already knew and try to stir them up. King James says to stir up your pure minds, like getting the soup bowl, get the stuff off the bottom. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. My first pastor would say, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. This is the very last verse. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We'll start with the easy one. How do you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? The Word, exactly right. Now, James says that some people will read the Word, and he can see that zit. And then they leave, and he forgets what manner of man, what manner of man he is. It's not just getting the Word in here. It's getting the Word in here. One of my kids' first verses was, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How do we grow in grace? That's a tougher question, isn't it? Paul began every one of his epistles, grace and peace. Peter plagiarized, and he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. James says, uh, Jude says the same thing, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Blessings given are grace received. Grace received are blessings given. What does that mean? It's not in the Bible. It's just a philosophy. It means that every act of kindness, you talk about living righteously, every act of kindness, every spoken word that deals with the word of God is a benefit given and it's a grace received. Paul said to the Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, I'm not going to run into many Greeks. I do know a few Jews that I'm working with. But are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you an undercover Christian? The definition of an undercover Christian is the one who reveals his true identity only under pressure. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Paul wrote to us in the book of Romans, he said, And you whom he's justified, he's also sanctified. I'm, I'm sorry, you whom he's sanctified, he's also justified. And you whom you've justified, he's also glorified. Well, I don't look very glorified. I still have my zit. I don't look very glorified. But in the mind of God, it's already done. I can't be adopted. I'm his forever. So grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And I usually end about one minute late. I ended three minutes early. Questions or comments or you're dismissed. The auctioneer would say going once. Les, you're itching to say something. I hope everybody heard that. 
He said, in our news today, and it's not new, Walter Cronkite started it back in the Vietnam War, and he would say, that's the way it is. Well, that wasn't the way that it was. There was a narrative, and the news applies to the narrative. Hearst was one of the uh, first newspaper barons, and he said, just give me a picture, and I'll write the story the way he wants to write the story. And again, my first pastor would talk about a member of the Department of Justice who was studying counterfeits. And the interviewer said, I bet you study those false bills all the time. He said, no, I study the real thing and the fake ones jump right out. Grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Anybody else? Going twice. We're dismissed.